Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Yes, people, Dave Fensom here with a special episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. Uh, hope you guys are all good. Uh, thank you for all the feedback on the uh, Prince episode. Glad you guys were enjoying that one. Uh, certainly a mixed bag of a record. Um, I got a lot more out of it than Krista did, but uh, what can you do? There's no accounting for taste. Anyway, what uh, what we're here for this week, it's Rage Against the Machine's debut album. Uh, I won't get too much into why we did this episode. Uh, that's pretty much covered in the episode itself, but uh, we had an absolute blast recording this. Uh, this episode features a interview with the fantastic Mr. Andy Coppin. Andy Coppin, if you don't know who he is, uh, he's the guy that um, books and runs Download Festival. Uh, if you've ever been to Download Festival, Andy's the guy that books all the bands. Uh, he's been in music for a long, long time. We have uh, a little bit of a relationship with him from Krista in his music industry past. Uh, so yeah, we were really glad that he gave up his time to be on it. Now we've cut down what he uh, he did. We had a long chat with him. Um, so for the sake of brevity, you're only going to get about 10 minutes of that interview in this episode, but we're going to release the whole interview uh, as a special episode uh, that will probably be available for you to download later in the week. So anyway, with no further ado, um, I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll catch you next time. Yes, people, Dave Fensom here with another episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Krista Greer. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? We're good, man. Yeah. And I don't know why I just answered that like I was everybody. You are everybody to me, mate. Oh, mate. You are my world. You are everybody. <laughs> uh, and Mr. Waffles Dog is in the room as well. Yes, well, uh, As is Spooky the Cat, who appears to be trying to muscle in on hosting. Yeah, you know, he's getting uh, jealous of... of Waffles celebrity status on the podcast. This is exactly right. This yeah, is fine. exactly right. There's a lot of words about it in mm-hmm. the in the in the cat and dog Behind community. The I don't know what the fuck we're going on about. No. Is this the episode? I don't oh, know. No, fuck me. Anyway, look, we're here with a special bonus episode. Yes. Uh, what's it on, Mr. KG? Right. Well, we uh, talked about this in last week's Prince episode. There was a very big album that was released in the time period that Prince was number one, uh, namely Rage Against the Machine's debut album, and um, yes, we both indeed. agreed that it was worth. Uh, an episode to itself because there's there's enough to talk about for both of us on here that you know a couple of minutes in the middle of another episode didn't seem fair. Yeah. So absolutely. here we are doing a full episode on this debut album. Okay. Look, full disclosure, we both fucking love this record. Yeah. There's going to be no surprises. Yeah. So like, if you're if you're here for the for the high level snark and you you hate the episodes where we just geek out on something, then skip this one. It's not for you. Totally fine. I I understand that. You might not want to hear two middle aged men. And it's talking about an album that's nearly 30 years old and how much it makes them happy. Yeah, and that's really what it is. Fine. We're going to spread a little bit of joy around. We're in uh, we're in uh, lockdown again. Yes, just started the second lockdown. Second lockdown. Um, we're also, we're almost exactly 
28 years on from when this was released because this came out on November the 3rd 1992 yeah. we're recording this on November 6th Sixth. today so it is almost exactly uh, 28, 28 years. years ago um, it was re- released on November 3rd it mm-hmm. didn't actually chart as an album in the UK until February of 1993 yeah but it came out and it started making the waves that it did yeah. at this point. But And the reason it started selling records in February 1993, I would imagine, mm-hmm. uh, is for the reason that in February 1993, the Late Show, we've talked about it on the show before, did mm-hmm. a special called No Nirvana, where they um, basically had live performances uh, from a collection of American alternative bands that were coming through famously featuring no nirvana basically. yes you know so it had stuff like from the screaming trees on there from mud honey no james addiction sugar pearl yeah. jam smashing pumpkins Absolutely. so yeah the big american kind of alt rock uh big hitters yep. and exciting new bands but specifically no nirvana but the very last one they showed on that uh, show was rage against the machine yeah and it blew my tiny little oh, fucking incredible. mind and i mean that was that was you're right. It was February '93. Also in February '93 was their performance on the Word, yep. where they did "Killing the Name" because they did "Bullet in the Head" on No Nirvana, yep. and they did "Killing in the Name" on the Word. So those both came out at that time because that's when uh, Sony or Epic rather were giving the album its first real push yep. over this way, and it did. It's just started to really ramp up from there. Fantastic, mate. Yeah. And you know, uh, I mean, I so I, I know exactly the date that I bought this record mm-hmm. whatever date it was uh that i saw the late show it was the next day oh i see yeah there. just and, immediately yeah i mean I, I don't think i had any money for a record so i think i did what i did at the time is i looked through my cd collection found a record that i wasn't that into anymore uh-huh. put put it in the newest cd case i could find uh-huh. and took it back and changed it hmv <laughs> under their no receipts re- required policy <laughs> i see yeah. well you're turning you know muck into gold at that point absolutely yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, did, I mean, I did that a few times. Quite a few albums that I that I I didn't have that I regretted later down the line. Because, right. But you just wanted new music, and it was you couldn't just hear it otherwise. No, no, absolutely. The second I heard this, I needed to hear all of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's and and that's the way that that shit went down. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just reaching across here. I think I'm remembering this right. Um, I don't know where I would have heard the band. It would have been presumably Killing Them. I don't know where yeah. I would have heard it. But I have this memory that I did hear it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a clip played on a, a TV show, whatever it was. I, I'm pretty sure that I bought this album day release. Because okay. I remember going down to the Virgin Records in uh, Belfast mm-hmm. after school, straight away searching for this album. Couldn't find it on the vinyl I wanted and so bought the tape because I couldn't not have it. I couldn't go away and try again another time. Yep. I bought the tape copy of this, even though I never bought tape at home. So, mm-hmm. um, I then did, I think a couple of weeks later, bring the tape back and swap it for the vinyl when they got that back in. Right. But and Which is, yeah, I've got the, the album itself with me here. I've got my, my vinyl copy of that and I played that to death. Yeah, that you is know, a... Absolute to death. Um, that is a well-thumbed cuff yeah, copy. It's one of the ones back in that year I listened to that more than most other albums you know but I I think I'm remembering it right that I went and got it day release I might be remembering it wrong and I did the exact same as you and so, um, saw them on the word and went and got it on that Monday it might be that but yeah it's a better story if I say day release sure 
Who I mean, knows, frankly? We can't talk about what our relationship with the band was when it came out. We, mm. uh, to a certain degree, because it was a new band for everyone. Kind of, they came Brandy. out of the, you know, uh, you know, Zach de la Rocha had done various hardcore bands uh-huh. and things, and he like he was, you know, kind of was in. Uh, he was in that scene. Yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was like, in Inside Out, who was signed to Revelation Records. Right. Revelation Records would become an important label to me. Like over the next twelve months, sure. you know, like Quicksand released their first record on, uh, well, their, their first EP and stuff on Revelation. And okay, yeah. I got very much into that label, but at this time, I had still never heard of them, so didn't know of his previous band at that time. So just a Fair completely enough. new band Fair uh, to me. Um, so I mean, look, we always start by talking about the album cover. Hmm. And this now, was uh, quite the album cover. I mean. This uh, this is the one of the most what the fuck album covers. Yeah, I have always been amazed that this album has been allowed uncensored on shelves. Yeah, because this is this is a, a famous photograph of a Buddhist monk setting himself on fire in protest. Yes, uh, nineteen sixty three. I think it was Ye- Vietnam sixty three yeah. in protest at the government's treatment of uh, Buddhists. Yeah, and the the photo shows him. Apparently, sitting calm as he burns to death. Yeah, that's not it, quite but accurate, but no. it's a fucking iconic photo. Yeah, uh, and it's a crazy brave choice to put on your record. It, it absolutely is, and like you say, it is a, a it's a decently brave decision for Epic to go. Okay, yeah, that's what you want to do. Okay, I bet you they didn't just go. Okay, I bet you there was a a lot of shouting and going. Of course, you can't do that. That's, but uh, but, I've, but again, I, I would put money on the fact. The the fact that this was allowed to happen is the legacy of Nirvana. This is right. the, this is that moment in music right. where they're going. We don't fucking understand what's going on particularly. Yeah, but people seem to like this shit. Um, and so okay, let let them show us what to do, and we'll make the money. Yeah, that's that's very true. And it's also entirely probable that they didn't think it would be as big a deal as it was. They thought it would sell okay, I'd yeah. imagine, but you don't know. Uh, with anything like this, what's going to happen? So they probably sure. thought it would be a mid-tier release. A few, a few big fans would uh, be into it, and it might do nothing more than that. It then, obviously, is you know it's still selling today. It's a different mm-hmm. story, but it, they might have thought, well, fuck it, just, let's go with it. Who knows? Who knows? But it, it is as an iconic photo. It's a horrible I mean, when you look at it and actually look at what's going on. It's like that is horrible these days. I must admit, I don't see what is actually happening. I just see the album cover. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm so used to seeing that image now. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the Rage Against Mission album cover, and I have to almost make myself think about what it actually is. But did you have that moment when you were like, when you kind of first realised, like, because I mean, I didn't, I got the album cover, and I, you know, I thought, oh wow, that's a really shocking image. Mm. It didn't occur to me at the time when I got it as a 16 year old kid, no. that it was real. Oh, I see. I, I, I didn't. I didn't know that this was a real photo, and I found out right. probably within weeks of having it. Someone was like, "Oh, that's a real photo," and you're like, "Oh, fuck off! That's not real. <laughs> that can't be real. Yeah, oh, that's real. That's from a horror movie." Yeah, yeah exactly. You yeah. think uh, this has been staged? This has been set up? And mm. no, this is a fucking real photo. So that's a man on fire. That's a man. A man that's killing himself in protest. Yeah. Uh, on a record called Rage Against the Machine. Yep. An incredibly clunky album to, it, title and band title. It is. It's not a good name for a band. I, I don't... I mean, it's the perfect name for this band. Oh, totally. It is what... It, it is exactly what they do. Yeah. But it is, like you say, it's clunky. It's too on the nose. But but so is so, is so much of... Look, let's... let's the lyrical Let's concept. be fair, right? Mm. I reckon Zach De La Rocha is uh, a good dude, but, like, I reckon he's... He'd be the 
best person to ruin your poker night. Oh God, I could not have a conversation in a pub with him. You, you'd be no. like, you'd be like, uh, do you want another beer, Zach? And he'd tell you why he doesn't drink. Or, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or like, uh, do you want some pizza? Uh, what's on that? Oh, sorry, uh, mate. Do you know what I mean? You. Uh, oh, totally. But I'm glad he does what he does far away from me. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. absolutely. And so, you know, obviously you've got the, the text in the kind of the, mm-hmm. like the, kind of the typewriter. It gives it some kind of, I don't know, it kind of gives it the air of some kind of redacted FBI file. Oh, right, yeah. Or something along those lines. Well, it's also, it looks like a small independent band doing this, re- releasing it themselves. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of lo-fi ethic. Yeah. that they got going on. It is just a bit... It's, it's quite a simple thing. Sure. It's, it's certainly, you know, certainly you can see uh, influences from the way that people are doing things in the DIY hardcore scene, Indeed, for example, yeah, precisely. Which is very much where, you know, where Zach the Rocha has come from. Yeah, exactly. uh, And, you know, obviously Rage Against the Machine actually was going to be the title of the next uh, Inside Out album. Oh, I see. That's that's where it was from. So it, he it just, had that kind of phrase. Yeah. Because it was uh, in 1991, that, as far as I know, they formed. Yeah. And they almost immediately wrote loads of songs and released a self-titled, an EP or extended EP of demos. Yeah. Also under the name just Rage Against the Machine. And I think most of the songs on that went on to this album. They were just almost just produced a little bit better, but they were, yeah. the songs were there. And that was 91. And they formed, got signed, re-recorded the songs, released this album all in the space of about a year, really, mm-hmm. from first getting together. Now, which is one of those things that you can almost feel the immediacy and the energy that they had of being this brand new band. Exactly. And so, look, they're coming out in the early 90s. As we've seen through the podcast, hip-hop is becoming... A much bigger force, more of a force in America than it is in the UK. Still, but, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're into 1992, so we've been through. Still, in like, room with that view. Still, without room with that view. We've been in the. Uh, it's actually quite a good no, view nice out of this room. You can see the sea. <laughs> um, so we, we come from this place where hip hop and rock were strange bedfellows. There have been limited attempts to combine them. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, most famously, we've got the Run DMC sure. uh, Aerosmith collaboration, which you know. Is it a collaboration? Really, it's a cover. Uh, yes, that's a, fair with, to say. With a feature verb. It, it, it's a sample of Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the, that's the way you that's the way you get that started to go. In. And then you know, you've got bands like uh, yeah, the Beastie you know, Boys around that time as well. Yeah, you've got the Beastie Boys right. who have got like a, a history in rock. But again, there's not really a lot of rock per se, other than sampled bits of. It's rock just samples in that point. Yeah. But um, you've got bands like Suicidal Tendencies that are coming up. Right, with sure. Samples. You've got. So some of the thrash movement, which is going to kind of based out, you know, largely out in kind of uh, California, Bay Area, that kind of thing, is started to embrace some of the hip hop influences that they're seeing. Obviously, you've got uh, Public Enemy and Anthrax, which is a pretty successful collaboration. Really big, big tune for them. Yeah. But again, very much the meeting of two sets of practitioners coming together. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a I can't think of really a lot of bands that were doing this well, now, not this. I mean, Body Count had released their self-titled album in the same year. They, but again, so Ice, Ice, Ice. Ice is not rapping on that record. It's Ice T's going. Here's my here's my metal version. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, I'll admit, whenever I first heard this, I had heard nothing like it really. Um, and that's one of the reasons it was so exciting to me because I had been enjoying hip hop at this point. Ninety two, I was very into my my more kind of hard gangster rap sort of stuff. Yep. Mostly, I liked something with a bit of a fucking thwack to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when this came out, it had the elements of some of the bands that I was into at the time. Things like the Chili Peppers, Faith No More, that sort of yep. big uh, funky 
riffy guitar, yeah, but with the hip hop over the top. Yeah, and that's what, and, you know, obviously yeah, you've got to mention, you've got to mention the kind of the funk metal scene that's happening as well. Yeah. You know, Faith No More, uh, fucking Mind Funk. Sure. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I saw some uh, article uh, earlier on today it was talking about sort of rap rock and they mentioned, I'm going to get this wrong, but something like 24-7 Spies. Oh, yeah, 24-7 Spies, yeah. Right. Uh, and had them as one of the kind of first people who were doing that because the, the album was like 89 or 90 yeah right so there were bits and bobs yeah but no one was doing it like this no but and, and this is the thing that separates it whilst this record has got a lot of funk on it it feels and sounds like it's stripped down like a hip-hop record a lot the, you know the, the... well when you look at the back line of this band when you got brad and timmy c on drums and bass yeah it is tight as fuck and it could be in a lot a lot of the songs, they almost could be samples because it's that tight and that crisp. It's not like, oh, here's just a fuzzy guitar or a fuzzy drum beat. But the guitar, but this band want to make you very, very clear that there are no, no samples on this. There's a big thing on the back oh. of it. All sounds yep. made by bass, guitar, drums and vocals. Yeah. And again, that was something I'd not seen either. You know, uh, it didn't matter overly to me because I'm not a musician like that it still impressed me the sounds that he could make mm-hmm. but I know it was a bigger deal for a lot of other people because it was a, such a thing like fucking hell really he's doing that with a guitar yep. it was a, a kind of a shit I didn't realise yeah. hey, here's a question when was the first time you saw Rage Against the Machine first time I saw them would have been um, Lollapalooza 93 nice see I bizarrely for as big of a fan as I was of this band mm-hmm. I didn't actually see them, I don't think, until Red in 96. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. But then I'm not sure how many times they came over in between then. There there weren't a lot. I mean, they did, I mean, they had that monumental rise where they would, they went from doing like kind of underworld Yulu sized shows and then they went to doing Brixton within four months. Yeah. But also, you weren't at, because they did Reading 93 as well. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, you weren't at that. No, my first right. one was Reading ninety four. Right, okay. I wanted to go. Because I was at Reading ninety three as well, so I saw them. I saw them twice in that summer. Once they were the opening band at Lollapalooza, yeah. and to be honest, uh, the people I was with, we arrived a little bit late and had to proper run to go, go try and see them. We missed maybe the first five minutes. Yeah, they only played for twenty five minutes, half an hour. Uh, saw them there, and then saw them do the full set at at Reading ninety three. Were they good? I was so excited at the Lollapalooza one that I can't actually remember an awful lot about the show. I was just hyper. Yeah. Uh, I remember the Reading one being fantastic. Wicked. Right, okay, so let's bang into this record then. Right. Starts off, we're going to say this a lot, you know, each of these songs, you're like, oh yeah, this is one of the best songs on the album. Yeah. But, and Because they're all so good. So number one is Bomb Track. Yeah. So we've got that fucking guitar pick in. Yeah. And then you've got that kind of that one kind of pulled note. <laughs> Twiddle. <laughs> Drums. This is a great build. You know, track one, this is a build well, this up. Is, I mean, they're so good at the builds. Yeah, oh, they do it all the time and they do it so well. But yeah, come in. Bam. And it's a totally different riff from that intro as well. It's like... I mean, look, this is, this is what you... This, you've got these big rhythm section grooves just, like, so fucking thick that they yeah. punch you in the face. Yeah. Right? And Zach just introducing himself. Yeah. Just, uh, who's, who's this angry squirrel? <laughs> One, two... And then he starts rapping, man. And he's fucking doing these little, like, tongue flicks. Mm-hmm. He's putting Over his it. words. Yep. 
he like he's, he's doing that kind of polysyllable rhyming that you know kind of Rakim kind of right, pioneered. Okay. Uh, and you know, hard line, hard line after hard, hard line. line. Yeah. You know, it's just. Uh, he's just, you know, it's like, oh wow, this guy can fucking really do it. He can really yeah. fucking rap. He's not just like some. He's not the guy from Clawfinger. <laughs> Clawfinger, fucking hell. Oh god, we're not. I can't talk about Clawfinger. No, we certainly can't. And although we probably can trace a line, you know, from Rage Against Machine to Clawfinger, we can't blame Rage Against Machine for this. They, they, oh, they, I they think are... they have to take some of the blame. <laughs> if we, but we're going to kiss their ass through a lot of this podcast. Yeah. We have to. In fact, I wonder if we can get a representative on the phone because they need... I mean, Clawfinger... Explain yourself. Claw, Clawfinger. I mean, they had such good intentions. Mm, oh, probably. I mean, Clawfinger, mm-hmm. if you've never listened to Clawfinger, um, they've got a track that would... I mean, they, I mean, they're it's a Scandinavian band. Sweden, yeah, remember, maybe? Maybe. Uh, yeah, that's Sweden. Sweden sounds right. Uh, and, mm. yeah, I mean, they tried to do... Uh, they an tried anti-racist. To do an anti-racist song. Uh, and it's basically... It's not called the N-word. It's, it's called what the n-word is yep. uh, and it's basically a song where th- three white dudes from sweden tell black people they shouldn't use that word yeah uh, and well you know someone's got to tell them oh, yeah, someone's got to... <laughs> it's like whoa buddy hell. whoa buddy yeah. that shit's not gonna fly in 2020 <laughs> god uh, but yeah back to the bomb track i have said many times on this podcast that i think it's very important to have a really good opening track. Yeah. Um, whenever you want to get people to listen to the rest of your album, you want something at the start that gives a flavour, but also really fucking kicks it off. Yeah. Um, there have been many times we've seen ones and I've gone, I think this is a limp start and it puts me on the wrong foot. Mm-hmm. This is absolutely blinding. Yeah. you know. And also, after having heard Killing in the Name and Bullet in the Head... Yeah. I was I was possibly a little scared that maybe that's all they had. Yeah. And so when I had this album, I put this album on, and this was the first thing I heard. It's like all fears went away. You go mm-hmm. fucking hell. Okay, right, we are off on this. Yeah, I mean, this has got everything you want from Rage Against the Machine. You've got you've got the the massive kind of grooves. You've got the the super dyke guitar work. Yeah. You've got Zach in and out of the beat, you know, just, he's so angry on this record. Oh, God. There is not a second on this album where he's deciding, like, actually, do you know what? I'm going to show a a, a different side of my emotions. Sure. Like, like, if you listen to this, you just believe that he's walked around just seething all day, every day. And yeah. maybe he does. Well, I bet you he probably did in 1992. He I was mean, an angry young man. Oh God, he was so angry. Yeah. I mean, how old were he? Because he's five years older than me, right? Is he so okay? I'm, so I'm... So, so I'm, you know, we were 16, about, 17, and 92. Yeah, so he's like in his early 20s. Right. Just finished his PhD. Right. <laughs> True <laughs> story. Angry he's got a PhD man. in anthropology, Zach Rocha. Anthropology, that's yes. a goodie. From, uh, Absolutely uh, useless. From Irvin, and uh, w- w- that he describes as uh, being uh, one of the most racist towns in the world. If you're of Ooh. Mexican descent uh-huh. there, you're going to be there because you're holding a broom or a hammer. Oh, right, okay. So there you go, Zach Fine, right, Irvin, wow. California. Fucking hell. So... But yes, it's got everything that you want from Rage Against the Machine in this song. Yeah. You know, uh, what they are known for are things like a big, heavy, usually quite slow, but just punchy riff. Yeah. Big, tight rhythm section. Zach doing his thing. Um, the the breakdowns, the build-up, the crescendos. 
the sloganeering uh, choruses mm-hmm. that you can shout along to the top of your voice and feel like you're changing the world. Yeah. All of those things, they're all present in this song. Absolutely. So what a, what a great opener. Now, burn, burn, yes, you're going to burn. That is one of those ones that, yeah, I'm very happy to shout that on a rock yeah, dance yeah. floor. He's literally talking about, you know, whether it's metaphorically or not, setting fire to fucking the people that have suppressed the, you know, the, yes, yes, you know, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's like, after the revolution, I'm going to go around the corporate offices. I'm going to set fire to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to kill you and watch I, you fucking yeah, it's, it's burn really, to death. In I front hope of me. you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. There's metaphors, and then there's probably things that you can get arrested for because it's predicated yeah. Uh, assault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so so that's on. Uh, yeah, and this was the third single off the album, yeah. so it was released as a single after the first two that we've already talked about. Um, I don't remember having this single. For some reason, I didn't buy it. I bought the other two. I've got a feeling that I knew someone that had it. I think it was on I think it was on white blood-splattered vinyl, possibly. Or is that, uh, or is that the... Well, Bullet in the Head is on that. Oh, uh, that's a Bullet in the yeah, Head. Yeah, the Bomb Track, I think, was on some sort of coloured vinyl. Yeah. It might be. There was one of them that I remember buying on 12-inch, and I think it was Bullet in the Head, but I kept having to take it back to the record shop because it skipped because right. it was on this... Uh, weird coloured stuff and it wouldn't play properly right. and to me at that time that mattered yeah. you know and so I took it back and I ended up getting the 7 inch instead right. which I'm now a bit pissed off about well, but there you know. go but I didn't have Bomb Track any either way I didn't have that as a single yeah same situation I've had three copies of my uh, Sage Francis uh, Copper Gone album and uh-huh. all fucking three of them skip so really it fucking does my face in yeah I've got it signed now so I'm stuck with it alright so there's track one track number two <laughs> Never heard it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucker, it's killing in the name. What are you going to say about killing in the name? Yeah. It's... I I cannot argue with the people who go, oh, yeah, but it's so overplayed. Because it is overplayed. It is it's, overplayed. It's, it's, it's fine. You, you and I were going to uh, rock clubs throughout the early 90s. Yes. And throughout the 90s. There wouldn't have been any fucking night that you wouldn't hear this at least once. Uh, So, yes, fair enough. Of all the songs Rangers of the Machine did, this is the most overplayed one. But it's also also one of the best protest songs ever written. It's fucking incredible. Just just that refrain, you know, as juvenile as it is, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It's just just perfectly dilutes. It's, you know, like you say, it's sloganeering. It's something Mm -hmm. you can shout out and it's... You know, it's just like you can say it anytime someone's fucking with you, whatever, man. It's, you yeah. know, I mean, it's second only to break stuff by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> That's high praise indeed. <laughs> <laughs> but it just gets your blood up, man. Like, yeah, it does. This riff, what the hell? I mean, again, from, from this was probably the first thing I heard from them. This riff killed me. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I just felt it in my guts. You know, how just proper, just grooving it was. Such a big tune. But truth be told, yeah. this misses some of the things that, that are, are in my very favourite Rage Against the Machine songs. Okay, go for it. Like, it misses, I mean, mainly that kind of intricate flow that, that, that Zach, Zach puts in okay. and with all the the all the wordplay because this is this is a, a, again talking about songs that slogan here mm-hmm. this is basically you know like the, the, the chorus the only lyrics are some of those the workforces uh, are the same in burn crosses yeah that's all you've got and then you've got the, those who died are justified wearing a badge yep. they're the chosen whites yep uh, 
like repeated, repeated. And you know, Zach is very good at, at making use of of repeated verse. Sure, and, and it happens repetition. more than once on this album. Oh, it yeah, not nearly every song. But there's no kind of verse where he kind of breaks it down and kind of does no. some of the clever stuff that he does, which no, I right. really like. There isn't, uh, yeah, on this one, there isn't anything else. Yeah, uh, it is, and I've got the same note that I'd like this even more if there was a second verse that was different and something else, and he was saying some other stuff. I still love it for what it is, but you're absolutely right. It is just A, B, A, B, breakdown C. Yeah. That's, that's you, and you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's an undisputed classic. It's not one of my favourite Rage Against the Machine songs mm-hmm. uh, because the initial impact it had on, that, on me has diminished. Sure. Uh, that said... I fucking love this song. It's a classic. I can't argue with it. No. I love it. It's just not in my top tier of Rage Against the Machine songs. I understand that because it probably is different listening to it now than it is listening to it as a 16-year-old. And When you're 16, you're like, fuck, oh, this is all I ever want. Yeah, but the thing is as well, I tell you, I'm, and maybe I'm misremembering this and trying to remember myself as being cooler than I was, mm. But I remember having the same thing with it back then. Oh, really? Immediately? Yeah, because Bullet in the Head was the first Rage Against the Machine song that I heard. Right. And that was... And we're going to come to that, so I won't say anything about it. So, yeah, I appreciate why everyone loves this and why everyone loves it. And I love it as well. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that I don't. I'm not trying to be like some cool fucking hipster dipshit. Right, Right, sure. But it's not really a rap... Like a, it's one of the least hip hoppy tracks on the entire record. Absolutely true. It's yes. The most straight up rock song yeah. on the record. Yeah. I kind of remember at the time being like, "Oh, it's bomb track," and then we've got, uh, you know, then we've got time to take the power back coming out, and mm-hmm. you've got the, and this being one of like, "Oh yeah, it's fine. This'll I do. love it." But right. it was, you know, it was, it was never the driving force for me to this record that it was for. I would say a large percentage of the people that found this record. Fair enough. No, I I totally get that. I'm in a, probably in a different boat because I loved it so hard at the time and never did not love it. I was definitely one of those people who was like, fucking hell, it's been overplayed. And I would have probably said that out loud as well. Oh, yeah, well, huh, killing in the name again, eh? As a snotty fucking teenager. Yeah, I mean, but I, loved I, mean it I, I actively remember. You remember Bernie? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember actively bothering Bernie. DJ Bernie in for, our local yeah. club. Uh, yeah, DJ in our local Bothering him for tracks on the album. That w- right. Yeah, I mean I, I mean, I was probably bo- bothering him for like Know Your Enemy or saying that sure. he probably wasn't going to play at the time. You yeah, know? sure. But anyway, fuck it. Uh, one thing that I think about this song, and it is definitely true for the rest of this album, their music, is that so often the songs are so simple and mm-hmm. the riffs are so simple in almost a way that you think surely this must be someone else has done this and in some cases you can make a case for someone that is very close yeah but it is such simplicity at times and that's all you need is just this big hook that it's a joy to listen to because there's nothing else going on it's not they're not trying to complicate things they're not throwing loads of stuff at it it's not overproduced yeah it is just Four blocks in a room, making this music, just big, heavy riff. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's uh, let's go to track three. This uh-huh. is take the power back. So obviously, from context, you've got to go from all the fury at the end of uh, killing in the name, mm-hmm. and then you've got to continue your album. Yeah, that's very true, actually. So here we go. We've got this kind of slow intro, the kind of strangled yes. guitar. A little bit slap bass. Lovely. There you go. 
And while this wasn't a single, this got a lot of club play as well. Everyone loved to shout that whenever you hear this in a rock club. Bring that shit in! That riff is so nice. Yeah, That's it. For me, I think even more than Bomb Track, Uh this is like kind of a lyrical masterclass. Okay, right, yeah. This is where, first time on the record, you really hear Zach do what you can do. Yeah, this is what you you know. Like, you know, whatever you think of the message, even if your politics are on the other side of it and don't agree with what he's saying you cannot dispute the clarity of the way that he he, he puts the message together in words mm, absolutely. even if you don't agree with it, it's, it you know in terms of going right this is what I want to do yeah. intent and focus it's a fucking brilliant piece of prose it is it's fantastic yeah this is uh, like I said the music is still for me nice and simple with the big groove yeah. and hooks me in that way but yes lyrically there is so much more happening in this one uh, than, than previous and, and probably previous to Bomb Track as well but as soon as he starts going in uh, he goes in hard and it does he again builds it up breaks it down the whole No More Lies thing the breakdown of that it's a varied structure but he's all over all parts of it you know when you listen to kind of good hip hop from this era what you were doing was taking the break beat the bit that was the kind of the good bit of the track and yeah. looping it over and over sure. but leaving space for the MC to do what he's doing yeah. you know the, the, there is a sparseness to hip hop beats of this era that is an intricate part and allowed the kind of the MCs to to make the case and make their reputations and mm. do the stuff they did but I mean the whole thing like the present curriculum I put my fist in them Eurocentric every last one of them see right through the red white and blue describes with lecture i puncture the structure of lies it's That's fucking wicked. brilliant man brilliant, yeah. ding 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 punchline every syllable bang 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 sure. bang bang yeah the way it's put together man you know i say this um, in the, the the long version of the interview i'm not sure if it's in the, if it's in the version we're putting into right. this but when we talk about zach de la rocha as an mc mm-hmm. okay zach de la rocha is an mc in 1992 and wasn't really part of the conversation of who the MCs were because the worlds were so different and so far apart. Totally. Okay. Yeah. But now in 2020, Zach Delarosha just put another fucking album highlight on the the brand new uh, Run the Jewels album. Sure. I mean, you know, Close Your Eyes uh, and, and Counter Fuck yeah. on Run the Jewels 2 is you know undoubtedly the best track well to my mind the best track on that record some said, of the lyrical yeah the lyrical stuff he does in that is brilliant oh I think it's one of the best things he's ever done yeah and I just don't think you can talk about another MC that was putting stuff out in 92 that is still connecting with new audiences mm. at the top of their game like I mean, you know, yes, his output is sparse. Well, okay. indeed, yeah, he's not right. been putting stuff out every t- every year. But you know, yeah. you look look at you know, he starts off here with Rage Against the Machine, into Run the Jewels, what he's doing at the moment. You know, you've got bits and pieces that he did with Ronnie size yeah. in the middle of yeah. things. He's never been anything less than excellent. True, um, but part of that has been, I guess, because. He's got a filter of, I'm only putting this out if it's good. He's not having to put an album out every couple of years for a record label and do that shit. But that, that in in and of itself, is a, a choice. Oh, it's a statement. Yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice in editing and writing. Like, I'm only putting... And, you know, the, I mean, this album must have come together lyrically in the in a, about a year. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know... Which is insane, <laughs> anyway. insane. Um, and, yeah, this one, uh, like, the, those lyrics you read out, this is about how... 
only one side of history is taught in schools yes. and how skewed, especially the American take on things is. Mm-hmm. And so whenever he was growing up, that's all he was being presented with and how yeah. that needs to change. You need to take the power back, but you need to give better education to the young people so that they have more of a rounded view. Yes. Which is as relevant as ever right now. There's well, still people talking about this. Yeah, I mean, with without a doubt. I mean, yeah. it's I mean, it's, it's it's more relevant than ever. Particularly, you know, we're we're talking at the moment. I mean, I haven't checked my phone in the last half an hour, so there's still, as far as I'm aware, no. Oh no, uh, the, the president. Yeah, yeah, no president. I'm, I'm literally, I'm gonna check my phone just to make sure that we're not putting ourselves <laughs> out of date whilst right, sure. recording. Yeah, no, as as it stands, Biden two five three, Trump two one four. Right, so that's where we're at, right? Yeah. No. Um, but well, yeah, one of the big discussions about. Uh, or one one of the, the big topics around this whole thing has been about um, educating the American youth about the sort of things that they need to know about mm-hmm. because if they don't, they grow up with this very, very narrow view mm-hmm. which isn't reflected in what has been going on for the past four years. Yeah, And so back in 92, Zach De La Rocha is saying we need to change the system of education and we need to bring in uh, you know, the histories of the peoples of colour from uh, the States and from worldwide and talk about the things that America has done that aren't really very nice things, but we need to talk about them. And that is exactly the same conversations that I see in the past month on social media. Yeah, You know, let's not uh, ignore the fact that we live in a fucking colonial... Uh, oh, post-colonial, you oh, know, mate. kind of post-colonial em- empirical country. You know, we a hundred percent we need those conversations in our schools as sure. well. You know, you've got a you've got a national racism problem about people from outside of the UK. That's true. And yeah. if you don't understand the fact that you know the, the right to be in this country comes from. <laughs> your your colonial party oh, took your country by the way yeah, yeah. exactly exactly um yeah. so you know you whatever your politics are i know some of you listening might not agree with me and you know fair enough if you don't but you know well i'd have that conversation with you individually fuck sure. it but uh, no but it just it's one of these things that i that, again there's so many things in this album lyrically and topic wise that you go and We've moved on in a lot of ways. A lot of things are better, but we're still talking about these things because they are still problems. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, okay, right. so that's uh, wicked. Uh, and you know, obviously, but, then we get we get, kind of get the urgency that builds in this track again. Mm-hmm. After that, then we get the kind of the repeated "No more lies, yeah. no more lies," and then just this huge kind of frantic energy. Yeah, kind of just ends just this kind of furious, like almost. Yeah, it's almost like the sound of a band demolishing their kit. It is almost, stage. yeah, exactly, just kicking shit over, yeah. yeah, 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 that is just great. And as a first three tracks on an album, because we're going to just we'll take a quick break now, but first three tracks, that is as strong an opening three as you're going to get. Yeah, that's you know? yeah, that's that's right up there. Uh, so yeah, what we're going to do now is we were lucky enough to persuade Andy Copping to come and talk to us about his memories of this album. Uh, if you don't know who Andy is, Andy is the guy who runs Download Festival and has been in music promotion and the music world for like since the 80s basically you know he knows everything about the rock scene since back in that time he worked at Rock City he had his own music promotions company which is where I first met him and he now runs Download puts that on every year and while he has a brilliant team he's the main guy 
Yeah. You know, it's it's his baby. Just uh, if you're listening to, to us from outside of the UK, Download Festival is the UK's biggest rock and metal festival. Basically, yeah, absolutely it happens every it's, it's year. About eighty thousand capacity, something along those lines. Possibly even more, more maybe a hundred thousand more, yeah. something like that. But it's it's a really big deal. You know, they obviously it was cancelled this year. Uh, you know, bands. I think System of a Down were booked for this year. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you know, you know, we've had ACDC there in the past. It's a massive festival, and Rock City is a big kind of rock club in the English city of Nottingham. Indeed, and yeah, Andy was the live music booker there as well as the DJ, uh, basically through the nineties. And so yeah, he's he's agreed to come on, and we had a really nice chat with him about his memories of this album and the band in general. Uh, we're going to play. Uh, a, a snippet of it now there'll be you know, a few minutes of the interview we will also be releasing the kind of the full chat that we had with him separately yeah. so yeah make sure you check that out as well but here's Andy with his thoughts Andy very nice of you to come on thank you again man not at all no glad to be part of this what we're doing is we are looking at an album that came out 28 years ago but still means an awful lot to me and Dave um, in 1992 were you DJing at Rock City still, or you were booking music as well? Yeah, no, I was uh, I was DJing at, at Rock City on their rock night, um, but I was also the in-house booker, uh, so I was booking all the bands uh, into the venue at the time. Right, and so you were seeing loads of stuff coming through. You were on top of all the music that was happening. You must have been aware of Reggie and the Machine's album from as soon as kind of people were, were starting to put it out there. Well, yeah, the record label actually sent uh, me an advanced copy uh, of the album, as obviously record labels used to do uh, way back when. Yes, indeed. And, um, you know, obviously we'd been reading uh, a lot about the band very early on. There was, you know, some murmurings of this band coming from the States that were uh, a real game changer. And um, when the, the advanced album came through, it was such a huge shock to the system, um, particularly as it, it kind of just came after the uh, grunge explosion. And that in itself had, had, had totally shaken up the, uh, the, the rock scene mm. itself. But then this Rage Against the Machine album came and it was literally just getting smacked between the eyes with a brick. Yeah. It had got um, a huge amount of, of punk ethic to it. Uh, it was really hard hitting, really hard and heavy album. Yeah. So, so exciting. I still remember seeing you know, the band on television for the first time on The Word or something like this. I can tell you, it was, I can tell you the exact date of it as well. It was Mo Nirvana, the, uh, the, the Late Show special was the first UK uh, Oh, that was their live one, wasn't it? Yeah, Feb- February 1993, I think was the first. Yeah, certainly the first time I saw them. Well, that's really interesting because uh, in February 93, they were booked to play uh, the small room at Rock City, which was called yeah. The Basement at the time. I remember The Basement well, absolutely, my God. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were booked in there and, um, and it was absolute insanity. I mean, it sold out, literally sold out in seconds. Now, bearing in mind, there weren't internet sales back then. This is people physically coming to the venue to buy tickets uh, and for the uh, and from the ticket outlets that we had, which were way ahead in Nottingham and Selector Disc, which right. were record stores. That was the only way that you could buy tickets. And, and literally, I mean, it, it, there was a flood of people wanting to buy tickets for it. And, and to think now that that band played 
in that small room downstairs. It was absolutely Jesus Christ. Insanity. Yeah. insanity. And then the, the, the biggest twist of this is that three months later, they came back in the May of 93 and yeah. played at Rock City in the main hall. And sure. again, that sold out that, you know, um, back then it was 1700 capacity. So they they'd gone from 300 tickets to 1700 tickets in Nottingham, literally in a matter of weeks. And wow. the support band on that show was tall. Yeah. Everything, right. <laughs> Rage Machine and tall on the same bill was yeah. really something incredible. But just seeing the growth of the band. Uh, and the interesting thing was that, you know, I, I met them at the first show. Uh, I obviously met them when they came and played in May. And I've met them in recent years. Mm -hmm. And they've absolutely not changed. Really? On any level. That To me, they're still the same people uh, that I met back in that February 1993 wow. when um, like the last time, you know, I, I, uh, I saw them and met them was when they played at Download in 2010. Yeah. And it literally, the intensity and the ferocity of the show was exactly the same as it was yeah. back in that February 93. We were there. It was a magnificent oh, show. Incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. And unbelievable. And the thing is, is they're one of those bands. You, you're not going to see a, a bad Rage Against the Mach Machine show. Yeah, they're never going to just do it by numbers, are they? No, not at all. No. You, you almost, it's that trepidation of knowing what you're going to get, but that nervousness of what it's going to be because it is so intense. And I remember being at the, uh, the side of the stage at Download in, uh, in 2010, and the anticipation of the audience was at fever pitch. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, the four of them backstage, as they were gearing up to go on, Zach, you're thinking, I do not want to eyeball this guy. He, he was getting really psyched up for the show. Yeah. And that just the four of them together, you could just sense this power um you know amongst them and to think all those years on they still had that intensity was you know it's, it's an incredible thing but that album mm. uh, which i know is what we're, we're really here to talk mm. about is you put that album on today and it still sounds current it hasn't dated it's still relevant and it still has the impact that it did when people first heard it back in, you know, I guess, 92. I totally agree. I think it still packs the punch that it did. Um, and it doesn't sound like, oh, this must have been OK in 92. This must have been OK at its time. It's still nearly 30 years on. Sounds like a, a fist into your skull. There's not many albums and there's not many bands that are able to say that that uh, having a, a debut record, uh, that having such a huge, huge impact mm. on on uh, on on the music scene. I mean, even now, if you you know if you go into rock clubs and, and rock bars, I mean, I know they're closed because but of not, COVID. Yeah. But you know, killing in the name is the staple diet. You knew you knew as a DJ if whenever you put that on, that is going to absolutely fill the dance floor yeah that is a peak set just wiping out yeah my early memories in my little regional club in in luton where i used to go as a as a like 16 year old i remember still remember that song coming on and the dance floors being as violent as the roughest hardcore gigs i ever went to just in a club just that song just <laughs> like never seen anything yeah. like it before I, I could only imagine what they were like in rock city oh my god i mean it was just 
craziness. We And the thing is, we used to have uh, a Thursday night, which was a student night. The Friday night was the rock night. And the Saturday night was the alternative night. At that time, Killing in the Name yeah. was the biggest dance floor filler on each of those nights. Now, right. that, again, tells you the crossover that the band had at the time. Yeah. You've got three, um, and I have to say, you know, at the time, quite distinctive audiences, but uh, Killing in the Name in particular was um, was just huge. Bullet in the Head, the same. Know Your Enemy, Bomb Track. I mean, they, you know, they're four songs from that record that um, without a shadow of a doubt were the staple diet of rock DJs. I remember I didn't uh, start really DJing rock clubs until probably 94 or so, 95. Oh, you're such a young boy. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I, that, that album is a, a godsend for a rock DJ. It's like, yeah. oh shit, uh, everyone's getting a little bit, uh, you know, flaky or, oh shit, I shouldn't have played this song, everyone's gone to the bar. All you need to do is put on one of those songs. And like you say, you've got a plethora to choose from. And as soon yeah. as the first bass notes of uh, Boat in the Head come on or whatever, everyone's like, oh, I see. All right, yeah, I'm back now. Bam, and you're off. And they must have, I was going to say, whenever they uh, announced the Reformation around 2009, that must have been one of the easiest decisions you ever made, going, I'm going to try and get these guys. Oh, I mean, literally no question. It, <laughs> it, you know, we had to have them. Yeah. Such an important band. Without a shadow of a doubt, they have uh, become a far bigger band than they were ever. And that's an incredible, incredible thing to say, a remarkable thing to say about any act. That's but very true. That, uh, that's the pull that the band have. And I think that's probably partly because they never, because they did three albums and one kind of compilation, they never went shit and they never um, did it whenever it was obviously their heart wasn't in it. They stopped whenever they were like, all right, we're done. And so yeah. nobody ever lost respect for Rage Against the Machine and thought, oh, well, they're just uh, doing it for the money. They did. They stopped and came back when they wanted to. And again, they weren't doing it for money in 2010. They were doing it because, all right, yeah, we still want to do this. I mean, part of me wants to say that they weren't doing it for money. I did pay them a hell of oh, a lot. <laughs> That's fair, fair enough. I'm sure they gave it all to charity. Yeah, no, and um, <laughs> and of course, I would pay it again. I've got my fingers crossed that maybe 2022, when it's the 30-year anniversary of the, the album, that it would be nice to see them do another big... Imagine, I mean, that, it, I mean, it would just be incredible. Yeah. I mean, 30 years, that's the scariest thing. I remember I when, I, God. when I first started out DJing, I, I remember playing a... a I mean, it was Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky in 1980 and it had, it had come out in 1970 and i remember saying oh my god this song is 10 years old, How old is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and when you look back now and you, and you look at the stuff that, that that uh you know gets played and and the things that are still having a huge impact yeah. on people and like oh my god killing in the name is you know close on foot 30 years old. It's not unbelievable. I know. Let's never think about it like that. It doesn't end well. I think I had long hair the first time I listened to it. I think we all did. Yeah, no. Those were the days. Yeah. Oh, wicked. Oh, Dude, thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing all that. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, really, really appreciate it. And like I say, if you can get them back at Dino, Dude, you know, we're front of the stage. We're well, up listen, there. They are on the shopping list. They're all <laughs> there. and, you know, let, Let's never give up hope. Yeah, indeed. Awesome. Look, thank you again. Andy Copping, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
so yeah, wicked. Thank you again, Andy. By the way, uh, if you're if you're listening to this, thank you for taking the time to to come on to this this little podcast and share all of that stuff. It's absolutely yeah, really, really, real pleasure, really good of him to Brilliant to be stuff. so generous with his time. Yeah. Um, right, so let's do track number four. Okay, track four on the album. Settle for nothing. Now, I must admit, right, I'd not listened to this album in full in so many years. Not yeah. not from, you know, A to Z. And I'd almost forgotten about this one. This would be one of the ones I wouldn't have been able to to name if I was trying to make the track list from scratch. Yeah, I, I think I would have done. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I take your point. It's, it's for me. It wasn't a single. It's not a dance floor track, so I wasn't playing it at my clubs that I was DJing at. Um, and it's much more understated See, in some I, ways. I've got a particular reason for remembering this. Oh, okay. Right. But yeah, like musically, this is very sparse background. It's essentially a kind of a performance poem, almost. Almost, yep. Yeah, yep. with the, you know That's the kind of the, you know because the you can, you can imagine it at a, at, a, at a slam poetry night with yeah. a, you know a kind of weirdness behind it. Zach going full on. So this this is Zach De La Rocha imagining himself as a youth in a in a you know I mean it's implied that he's a kind of self central kind of area yeah. in a gang situation. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of the music builds and swells with the emotions that he's conveying. It's very, very dissonant. It's you know, it's uh uh, quite a, you know, quite an avant-garde piece mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the stuff that's on the album. Definitely. Uh, I mean, Morello kind of brings it back in quite nice with this kind of nice-sounding guitar well, solo. Well, no, he's got a, the, the solo that comes in. It's almost very like kind of Middle America, almost. It's like the kind of the nicest, <laughs> cleanest thing on there, and I think it's almost deliberately in contrast with all the right. weird kind of dissonant sounds that are on he, there. He's not going full experimental. Yeah. yeah. So you know, Zach's back in with this kind of standard style of doing a, a, a repeated mantra towards yes, the back again, end of the song. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of chaotic and dramatic and powerful. Mm-hmm. Not. A brilliant tune per no, se. No, well, that's one of the other reasons I don't think it stands out to me because there isn't that big hook to it. But, but it, it sits really nicely on the record, as exactly as exactly. something else yeah. that it does. As an album track, it's 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 wicked. Interestingly, I would say the one of the other bands that kind of came from this route, this kind of pre-new metal, hardcore influenced. Mm-hmm. Was rap rock a band called Downset, and I, oh, yeah. and I, yeah. I loved Downset. I think they, were, you know, Downset were uh, in many ways a more authentic version of, of Rage Against the Machine in that they were all from shitty fucking, all right, uh, yeah. shitty areas. They, you know, uh, their their singer was like graffiti writer from South Central, basically, mm-hmm. and that, uh, Ray Oprazano, I think his name was, but he was a brilliant MC as well. I, I, if you right. like Rage Against the Machine, I would recommend you go back and check out. Uh, downset, you know, second album. Do we speak a dead language? Which is, I think on Epitaph or something like that. Yeah. Brilliant record. Right, right. But there was lyrics in one of the Downset songs that went, uh, "What you know about a set or a sign? Your fake motherfucker never even seen a nine. Right? Oh, okay. And that was him calling out Zach de la Rocha because obviously that's the background they're from. And he's like, "Oh, you're some fucking middle class kid that's had a you right. know been to a fucking university in this rich town and blah blah right. blah." I did that actually speaking. Uh, to the singer about this in about 1995 in Manchester at right. a gig and asked him about it and he went actually you know what we were in a, we played a show together in France and we sat down and we talked about it uh-huh. and we came off and went actually do you know what we've actually got more in common than we've got apart and oh, we nice, came okay. nice and cool so that's the, that's, that's the reason I would have known this song because Fine. that 
little you thing that, sits yeah, that, in my mind. Relationship. Yeah. Right, because the, the line in this is, I got a nine, a sign, a set, and now I got a name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly, I see where it's, yeah, he's yeah. coming from. Fair, that's, that's nice. And I'm glad that after a chat, he was like, actually, yeah, he's okay. Yeah. I do understand why if you're if you're from, you know, from the arse end of nowhere uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the kind of the sound that you're working on in the background is fucking everywhere because some people that you perceived as having more industry connections sure. are getting it up and you're like, hang on, man, this is the thing that we're fucking doing. Yeah. I can understand why that is. I, but I can also, it's also, frustration. also good to get down and get that conversation. Anyway. Indeed. And, you know, maybe... Uh, Dineset should have just been that little bit better. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> you go fuck yourself. You leave Dineset alone. <laughs> no, I, I don't know Dineset enough to be able to comment. No, I think Empire is a brilliant song. First two Dineset albums are brilliant. Fine. Stuff after that, not as great. But Fine. what can you do? Uh, anyway, so track number five. Five, yeah, we're on to number five. We're getting into halfway through the album. And I could have told you... If, if you'd have said to me at any point in the last 20 years, what track number is Bullet in the Head uh-huh. on this? I don't know, five. Five. Because I just remember I've, my, my CD player. One, two, three, four, five. There we go. Let's oh, listen to this again. again. right. Yeah, fuck it out. Well, and this was the first one that you heard. Yeah. Yeah, so this was your Radiant Machine But look, song. man. Oh, bum, my God. Bum, bum, bum. Like, such a simple bass line. Dun, dun. Again, dun, so simple. Oh, yeah. But, and then, oh, oh my what God. A hook. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And I bet you did the same thing as me. I bet you sat down with the booklet for this album and learned these lyrics oh, off man, by I, heart. Knew, I knew these lyrics. Like, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I learned these lyrics all off by heart. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be able to sing along to I this. I mean, for many years, this was my karaoke song. Oh, oh wait, but Punk Rock Karaoke, Punk Rock we karaoke. did it loads of times. Yeah, that's very true. Um, so, like, like, the interesting thing is, like, the guitar on it sounds like scratching. Yes, it does. This is the first time he's really gone down that route. Yeah. Really down that route. I mean, the fuck, I mean, like, the rhythm section is just, like, I mean, it's tighter than my child's arsehole. <laughs> Right, and just if you're looking for content for that, my baby hasn't pooed in about four days, right? And she needs to. She needs to. Her farts smell and uh, she's uncomfortable. There's something right? in there. Right? Right. That's... <laughs> uh, but it, it is. The rhythm section's incredible on this. Yeah. Um, I think that while Zach and Tom get so much credit for Racing the Machine, they would not be the band they are without Timmy C and Brad Wilkes. No, without a doubt. No, fucking look, Timmy C is a great bass player. Yeah. You know, what, you know, and, and Brad Wilkes is a fucking furious drummer. Oh, sure. And the thing that the pair of them do is they get the fuck out of the way of their own egos. Yeah, they set themselves up, they do what they do, and then they let the other rest happen. And to be fair, when you look at what a guitar player Tom Morello is and what he can do, mm-hmm. Tom Morello is actually very good at getting the fuck out of the That's way true. as well. But this solo as well, I mean, I remember seeing this and going, what the fuck is he doing? Because mm-hmm. he's got his arms switched around yeah. and he's and he's playing doing with the, the fucking uh, the pickup switch on, yeah. on his guitar and it's like, what the fuck absolutely. is he doing? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. The lyrics on here, man, like that that thing where he's like, I sent my shot out uh, I sent my shot out to the living dead who stood and watched as the feds cold centralised, so serene on the screen you was mesmerised, cellular phones sounding a death tone, corporations cold turn you to stone before you realised it's so fucking good it's just so yeah. intricate and it's when you read through those lyrics you're like okay I get it so you're sending the shot out to these people who just stood like zombies uh-huh. whilst the feds kind of got their power together uh, and you know all of a sudden the corporate world 
is just like you know because obviously cellular phone at the time the tool of the corporate oh, world absolutely uh, you know uh, corporations tell Tony to stone you didn't see it fucking coming right yeah. and again in this world of billionaires and Amazon and all of these things totally relevant to uh-huh. this day yep and yep. a fucking size of that riff man the repeated mantra that fucking uh, standing in line believing the lies bowing down to the flag you got a bullet in your head right atmosphere they're putting that all in the background and it builds and it builds and it builds yeah and then it fucking yeah, because, drops because you do you got Tom do he just comes in with underneath and that gets louder and louder until it explodes yeah man just doing that now like that fucking arm arm hairs as a standing up man like that fucking drop when it comes in I like I lose my mind what, to the, this the, tone. The, I bullet it in your head. That bit, yeah. You don't know how hard it was for me not to join in with those lyrics when you were doing them because I have such fun yeah. singing along with this one. Yeah. Yeah. And when when we have seen them live, especially when we saw them like Dino 2010, we were going fucking ape shit yeah, yeah, for this. Yeah. This you is know, look, yeah. this was this is the first Rage Against the Machine song I heard and it's quite possibly still my favourite Rage Machine song um, I, I just as an aside uh, brilliant stuff for the podcast obviously I'll try and take a photo um, whenever I did see this on the late show the No Nirvana thing yeah. do you remember the t-shirt that uh... fucked Ford oh you got it on Nice. Yes, I am the wearing Ford my logo, fuck t-shirt yes. yeah uh, there was a wee t-shirt shop in Belfast uh, and I got to know the the guy who ran it it'd be really fucking small yeah. independent t-shirt shop um and I got to know him because he was able to get me uh, pirate videos of things like The Exorcist and Cannibal nice. Holocaust. Um, and so I got chatting to him and there was one day, one weekend I went in there just to see what was going on. And he said, oh, look, I've got something here. He'd only been able to get one. He, this is what he told me. And anyway. yeah. he said he'd only be able to get one T-shirt of this. Yeah. And did I want, he knew I was a fan. Did I want it? It was this fucked T-shirt. Yeah. And I was like, you, you know me well, my friend. <laughs> Bought it straight away. And as far as I know, no one else in Belfast had that T-shirt nice. at the time. And obviously, the very next time I went to the club I would go to, the Limelight in Belfast, I wore that. And people were like, oh my God, he's got the fuck T-shirt. I felt yeah, like an yeah. absolute celebrity. Nice. Yeah. Good work, mate. Good <laughs> from, work. From, a, from a band T-shirt. But that's what it, fucking 1992. You couldn't get them online. You fucking couldn't, mate. Nah. Now, this is incredible. And again, I've got the single of it. I've got the seven-inch single of this. And like we said, it's a, it's a really nice, weird, bloodshot, coloured vinyl stuff on that. It looks like a... Uh, it looks like a... What are those fucking sweets called? I've forgotten what the fuck they're called, so it's pointless. Looks like someone's had a period on some jizz, is what it looks I like. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that, too, that, that is actually what the Load album cover is on Metallica. <laughs> Do you know that? No, I didn't. You know that fucking... <laughs> yeah, the weird... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's Blood and Semen. Oh, well, good. It's, I think it's Lars Ulrich's Blood and Semen. <laughs> Blood and sea. That sounds like a Man of War song. Anyway. Right, okay. So, there you go. Amazing. Look, uh, you know, uh, what a great song that is. It is. Uh, I mean, for me, it's the, the perfect distillation of when they do the breakdown in Crescendo. It, yeah. This is the, the, the ideal version of that. Cause it, and also, because they do it at about two minutes in, they do a build-up, and then they break it back down again. And then they do it again properly at the end. Just that bit, you got so a bullet in your fucking head. Yeah. Well, you like you almost you can see him like like you feel like he's losing fucking. He's about to go off the beat because he's going so mental. Yeah. He's he's quite he kind of does actually that it kind of slips slightly from the rhythm right right at the end of it and you can tell it's just because he's just fucking like popping his hemorrhoids. Oh, I've- <laughs> 
Maybe that's what this is on yeah, the, yeah. the record. Mate, I guarantee you at some point he has blown a blood vessel in his eye. <laughs> you. you ever done he's... that, puking? Uh, I think I have, yeah. That's oh, fucking yeah, it's horrible. horrible. It is horrible, yeah. Uh, I wonder if he's ever shit himself on stage just because he's too angry. Well, I mean, he, I mean, the old days he had big baggy trousers. It wouldn't have mattered. That's true enough. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's not track number five. Uh, do you want to do track number six? Yes. Right, track number six is Know Your Enemy. It's a slightly different guitar sound to what we've had before. There's like yep. kind of harmonic thing going on. What? Oh, yeah, a little bit kind of offbeat drumming. Yeah. It's uh, not much going on, it's just the simple thing. It's almost a reggae number. Well, thank fuck it isn't. No, indeed. <laughs> oh, this could be a nice mellow one. Oh, hang on. Oh, wait. Yeah. There you go. Zach Shaw, you know your enemy, and we are back into Razor's Machine proper. Yeah, this is, I mean, again, you know, you might get bored of a saying, this is this is just like a perfect distillation of a Rage Against the Machine song. It's, sure. You know, I, I mean, Zach is absolutely raging on here. Like, I'm a brother with a furious mind. Yeah. No shit, Zach. But that riff just sounds like a breakdown that sits underneath there yeah. all the time. And then you know it sounds like a breakdown because when they use it as a breakdown later, it's yeah. perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, this one, not a single, uh, but often played in rock clubs. Absolutely. You know, an- another uh, album track that everybody knew and wanted to hear very loud. Yeah, and, f- yeah. You, know, fam- you know, famously, the first time I ever heard Maynard James Keenan oh, on a record. it absolutely would have been the same for me, except I had literally no idea who he was. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't either at that time. Oh, I, I mean, see, you okay. know, I mean, I... I mean... Because OP8 was out in 92. It had been out already. Yeah, so... 90, I, I, I mean, I, I had I, I had Undertow in 93. My friend Ian right. Cherry was on tour very, very quickly. Right. Um, but I, actually, I saw uh, the video for Prison Sex mm-hmm. very early, and it, f- I mean, that blew oh, my video. fucking yeah. mind, man. It just touched all my buttons, right. man. Which, ironically, for a song of Prison <laughs> Sex, <laughs> yeah. um, about child abuse. But, um, you know, it may not sound fucking great on here, that yeah. kind of, I'm too come to rise. I mean, to be honest, I suspect at the time that I didn't even know that was a different person, or... I didn't know it wasn't someone from the band. Well, I see. I did from that point of view of pouring through the sleeve notes okay, in that sure. way that you're used to, sure. and that was the thing that I put together when I went because it's such a guy? distinct name. Where yeah. have I heard that name before? Right, went back. Okay. And, oh fuck, is that guy? Right. Because obviously Adam Jones from Tool and Tom Morello grew up in the same uh, Chicago Midwestern town and have been friends. Oh, right. Yeah, went to the same high school. They were friends oh. from there, which is where their relationship was. They both had relocated out to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Both their bands hit a fairly similar time. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, Tool were the main support uh, for the Rage Against the Machine tour. Like, yeah. It was Wool and Tool went out with them, uh, Brixton Academy, 1993. Sure. And, what, and both uh, Rage Against the Machine and Tool played that Lollapalooza in 93. Yeah. 
and both played Reading night. At Reading, yeah, because yeah. yeah, Tall and Wall were both on the lower card on that Sunday in Rage yeah. Against the Machine were headlining, yeah. weren't they? Oh, even, oh no, they, no, I don't think they were headlining. Were they, they subbing? Were, yeah, I think they were sub. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't realize they had uh, that much relationship. I just assumed they were they'd find themselves mates in no, LA. They, no, that's that's kind of where they knew each okay, other. From. Right, okay, and uh, uh, I mean the other person who's on this, I didn't even realize until looking again, is Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. He does some percussion on this track. On this track, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I think. Do you know what? Actually, now you said that, I think I did know that, but right. I've forgotten it over sure. the years. Um, another ridiculous solo on this record. It's possibly the best solo on the record. On and, yeah, he does show off on this one. Yeah. He goes off on one on this one. Yeah, that's very true. But then he comes back in with that kind of siren thing. Yeah. That he... he yeah. Where, 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 yeah. Come on. Um, but And then the huge riff comes back in again. Well, it, it, it's the way it does that breakdown. Just before that, right? That, oh, my God, yeah. man. It's so good, man. Yeah, I mean, th- that, this is another kind of hair on the back of the neck one because yeah. it's such a well-crafted song. And it sounds so intense. And it's the, there's something really, there's something really lovely about the way he comes in because he kind of comes in almost ahead of the beat. Doesn't he? Yes, I know my enemy. Uh-huh. They're the teachers that taught me to fight me. Uh-huh. Compromise. Oh <laughs> my God. And this is also a strange one because. I remember the first time I heard it, and at the very, very end, where Zach is doing the "All of Which Are American Dreams" bit, yeah. which he does over and over with no instrumentation underneath him yeah. at the end, I did go, "This is jarring," you know. It, this is kind of making me a bit uncomfortable, which is obviously the point. Yeah. But I'm going, "Oh, this is fucking strange." Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to think right now. It was also very handy whenever you were do if if I did play this one as part of a kind of a rock set, rock set. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, Listen to you. It, it was a good one to have um, if you had a song with a long intro yeah. to play afterwards, because then you could just have him over the top of, for example, something like Nine Inch Nails Closer or yeah. Stink Fist or whatever. And if you could time it right, that he would finish the All of Which Are American Dreams as the first beat of something else comes in. It's all very satisfying. Nice. Yeah. Very but, nice. Yeah, brilliant song. And both, uh, it's interesting that you uh, that you said that because Stephen Perkins plays drums on Closer by Nine Inch Nails. And, uh, and uh, yeah, Zach, and obviously and Maynard's Nine a singer in Stinkfist. Fucking hell. I didn't know the Perkins thing on Nine Inch Nails. Yes, indeed. Well, well, well. Right. Well, mate, that's kind of two thirds of this album done. Uh, shall we, have you got anything else to say about this one? Uh, it's really good. I like it. It's really it. good. Um, we have had a load of feedback and comments from people on social media yeah, about I think, this one. I think it's fair to say that a good chunk of our listenership have probably uh, got a relationship with this record. I think a lot of people are on the same page as us with this one, yes. yeah. yeah. So we, we put a shout out on Twitter asking if anyone kind of had anything they wanted to, to say about their relationship with this or what they thought. And quite a few people have got back to us. Who have you got there, Dave? To Mike Collins. Uh, amazing record that still sounds like a grenade going off. Yes. Was lucky enough to see him at some of their early shows they played over here, including these incredible nights. And yeah, look, he's got tickets for the Yulu show. Yeah. £7.50 on the door, £6.50 advanced. Fucking Yulu, that's such a small room oh, as tiny, well. Tiny. Well, it's like whenever uh, we, we heard Andy Copping say they played the small room of Rock City yeah. first. Exactly. Before they played it. So that's like a 200 capacity. Yeah, and Ray, you know, Razor Machine at Brixton Academy as yeah. well. Um, yeah. That uh, tool and wool tour that we have referred to uh, and that Michael, Mike Collins went to, I, I had a message from uh, my friend Niall Bakewell, who is another kind of long time listener of the show, and I've known him since I was a, a kid. He said that he went to the Belfast uh, one of those 
in August of 1993, and it was his little brother's first ever gig. I mean, imagine you, that. I mean, you're never going to come back from now. Oh, yeah. you just stop going to gigs. Yeah. I mean, Pete Gillespie, who's at Tame Blue on uh, on Twitter, saw Rage Against the Machine in 93, supported by Tool No Less, yeah. Angry Noisy, still the coolest band I've ever seen live. Again, £7.50 advance for this one. Yeah. That was in Liverpool. Right, gotcha. Um, Dave Roddy. Yes, uh, Dave. That raw power Roddy on stage. I could spout big words and shit, but it was about that angry, heavy, had powerful lyrics about life and history, but made you hit the dance floor. Yeah. Still remembers Bruno Books playing the real version on Radio <laughs> 1. <laughs> yes, mate. Yes, indeed. Yeah, there's a couple of people that have mentioned the, the Bruno Brooks uh, mistake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. One, one, of my, one of my paper boys went to see them live in Liverpool uh, and came home with one shoe. There you go. <laughs> That's all you need to yeah, know. He went out with none, though. So, you know, at least he got one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will die before you on Twitter. It remains a total tour de force. I mean, yeah. look at that track list. Killing the name, bullet in the head, bomb track. Know your enemy, take the power back. Any of those alone would have set this apart, but all of them. And that's absolutely true. Yeah, exactly. It? It's a ridiculous uh, collection of songs to be able to have. Yeah, James Alder, Mr. Boulder on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. Killer album when I was 15. Uh, I'd never heard such a f- pissed off sounding record. Absolutely, mate. Completely yeah. agree with you. Martin Young, one of the best rhythm sections of any band. So incredibly tight. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, there. Venetian Gambler, Andy B, is asking Do you reckon it would have been the indie dance floor monster it became if that one song wasn't so sweary? <laughs> I mean, it's a fair comment. Yeah. Uh, who knows? If it was just, oh, forget you, I won't do what yeah. you tell me. Possibly not. But fucking hell, when you're 16 and that's all you want to do is swear loud. Yeah, excellent. But yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, uh, our friend uh, Miss Disorderly, I was talking to her about it. She yes. went, I asked her what she, if she had anything to say. She went, what, about the record that uh, changed the way I listened to the music and made me who I am? Yeah. I might have something to say about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for getting in contact, guys. Yeah, um, wicked, Mum. Always nice to hear from people. Nice to hear from people that haven't contacted us in the past as well. My favourite thing, one of my favourite things on social media, though, is, and there's a fairly rich vein of it, people... Uh, talking to uh, like Tom Morello on Twitter oh. and being like uh, like the music guys but why don't you leave the politics at home oh, and they're amazing. like how have you have you listened to any of this so satisfying my favourite thing as well <laughs> when people call him out and like um, uh, look just because you can play the guitar doesn't mean you know anything about politics and yeah. he always comes back yeah but this first class uh, degree in it's political from science Harvard. from Harvard says I do <laughs> yeah that's just a smack down and a half all right uh let's do the last bit of this album then yeah yeah if we must yeah okay so track number seven wake up wake up a track that was made a lot more famous a few years later by its inclusion quite iconically in the matrix yeah absolutely over the end credits yeah yeah and i again uh one of the messages that i saw from niall bakewell was that when he first saw the Matrix and this came in, he couldn't believe how good it was. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, he said that this is his favourite Rage Against Machine song, and he reckons it's their best song. I would, I would mm. have other things to say possibly, but I cannot uh, fault the, the fact that when this kicks in in the Matrix, it is fucking beautiful. It's absolutely brilliant. But it, and it, it and wouldn't be if it wasn't a good song anyway. Yeah, and, but the thing is, it's very analogous, isn't it? Yeah. The, the two Wake things. Wake up. You know, yeah. You know. I mean, obviously this. I mean, so let, let's talk about the song a bit. Obviously, so you've just sure. got, you know, you kind of just got this massive chunky Zeppelin riff, essentially. Yes. Because that's what it is. It's a big Led sure. Zeppelin sounding seventies rock riff. Then you've got this kind of porn funk seventy like verse that comes in. Is it? Yep. You know, Zach is on his civil rights seventies Nixon Hoover mm-hmm. kind of 
conspiracy theory civil rights. Sure, right, basically, sure. right. Talking about t- talking about uh, when the federal government uh, essentially cracked down on the rise of the civil rights movement that was at its height mm-hmm. at that time. You know, the, you know, you had kind of uh, Martin Luther King, you had Malcolm X, yep. you had the Black Panther movement, you had the advancements in civil rights movement that you had and there was a militant end to it and mm-hmm. conservatives obviously massively opposed it terrified absolutely and, shit themselves and this song is about okay this is the official version of events actually if you look around you can find the real version of it so some real fucking shady shit that mm-hmm. happened there it's available open your eyes see what actually happened don't believe the the narrative and obviously in the matrix it's there's a whole world of different narrative being yeah. pulled in front of your eyes it's the world, you know. You know, obviously, the Open matrix. The matrix is a, an analogy for shadow government. Well, anyway, indeed, right? yeah, sure. But for me, if you, even if you set all that stuff as, I mean, first of all, Zach, because he's on that thing, he makes that point by sticking all of his references so that they're relevant to that timeline. So, well, there's the, the King reference, the, the King when he spoke out in Vietnam. Yeah, but even like the kind of the less on the nose stuff like that like you know I set the groove then stick a move like I was Cassius mm, nice. uh, keep <laughs> fucking rip the start of step then bomb I left upon the fascists right but right. you know it's like using you know using uh, Cassius Clay uh, Muhammad Ali uh, yeah I'm pretty sure there are, there are times whenever uh, you've done a really bad fart in my presence and called yourself Cassius Clay yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. I mean let's uh, I mean I'm not sure I want that out there but carry on <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fart like a butterfly, sting like <laughs> big like D, a- <laughs> right? And then obviously you, you've got this thing that comes through in the end, mm. where um, where he's going, uh, he could be a real contender for. You know, it's the bit, and it's it's got an effect on it. But what he's actually doing there is he's reading out. Uh, it's from a, a 1968 memo ah, uh, that okay. was part of basically essentially the F- the FBI's counter black movement. Right, policy. Okay. And what they were saying basically is um uh, if if Martin Luther King strays from this supporting white dog, he could be a real contender that we could pin this stuff uh, I see. on. And that whole thing is like, you know, by uh counterintelligence we should be able to identify potential troublemakers and neutralize them. Sure. And that's the stuff, you know, the stuff that's going on in the background and it's like, okay, what they're doing is looking to stomp on people's Mm. Kind of right. I mean, you know, yeah. actually, there's there is some more. I read the actual memo. There is some more stuff in it, and it does specify violence. Okay. So you know, it's not quite it's as on the nose as that. Okay. But yeah, fine. I didn't realise that about because I've read the lyrics for this. And I was like, oh right, this is just an interesting piece that he's kind of done. I, I wonder if it was one of his things that he wrote as a, a character, a beat poet, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But I see. Um, musically, again, a really just big riff, no fat on it at all. Just heavy, clean brilliance. Yeah. Um, the times when Morello does the kind of the big air raid siren thing with yeah. the guitar, I think that's brilliant because it's just this warning, this impending doom mm-hmm. is, is a wonderful thing to have in there. It works so well. And the builds up in this one, again, to that massive climax, is just, just ah, chef's kiss, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for me, one of the best songs on the album. Yeah. But it's difficult to pick favourites on this record. It honestly is, yes. Okay, so that's that one. Uh, track number... I've lost number track eight. Numbers. Number eight, Fistful of Steel. Odd guitar noises. Yes, very strange. 
really nice kind of little slowed down groove. Like, yeah. Kind of like a metal groove, really. Yeah, true. Um, this is another one that, for me, wasn't one of the more... I mean, I, I remember this well, but it wasn't one of the more memorable tracks whenever I did this re-listen. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, of course I remember this, but it wasn't front of my mind at all. Because again, it's more understated. It, yeah. You know, it's 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 downplayed a lot of the time. But he's, there's there's some stuff. You know, obviously it's a lot more of a kind of a yeah, almost. You know, if you like like settle for nothing, it's in that mm-hmm. camp, isn't it? Sure. Not quite as sparse or performance is it? Not as but, that. No. But there are things in this. There's, look, there's a you know, I mean, lyrically it's. It's, I mean, I really like um, all the stuff about silence, about silence makes me sick. Mm-hmm. Silence can be violent, sort of like a slit wrist, yeah. which is a really fucking emotive, you know, yeah, you know image. image. Yeah. You know, or like, or radio is silent, yet it fills the air with noises. All these nice little bits and pieces, mm-hmm. little kind of little kind of bits of wordplay that are in here. So I really like, I really like how that goes. But almost after we've talked about loads, it almost feels passe for me to say that. Right, sure. But so like for something that's different in this song, there's this weird when it it kind of goes into that breakdown, mm-hmm. and it's got this kind of weird, and it, it kind of feels almost like something like like from a Herman soundtrack in a Hitchcock movie. Oh, weird. Kind of yeah. And then it, you can start you Weirdness. hear the kind of nails scratching against the top. Sure. And it's just like, oh man, what? It, again, is I think it's a, an uncomfortable feel to it um, yeah. that they're, they're putting you off kilter on this. Exactly, place. it's kind of yeah. Twilight Zone mm, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, you're you're, 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 you're somewhat, you shouldn't be comfortable here, you know. Yeah. And yeah, yes, 100. percent It is a lesser track on the record, right? Mm-hmm. In the the pantheon of this record, mm-hmm. but it is still like unrelentingly heavy yeah. and. It's really urgent sounding as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I do think I love what Zach does on this, partly just because I think, you know, fucking Mad Boy grips the microphone with a fistful of steel yeah. is a great line, yeah. you know, for an MC. I think it's a great song. Um, it is another very good album track. And the way, uh, let's talk about this the way this album is tracked, yeah. right, is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Because it starts off with punch, punch, punch. Then you've got uh, Self Nothing, which brings it down a bit. Lots more punches. This one, track eight, and then it finishes off. I think it, it works brilliantly. You could have done it a different way, and it would be all over the place. Or a lot more over the place. Yes. Yes. I think they've done a really good job on this. I think so. I, I, I got one slight criticism with the tracking. Okay. But I won't do it yet. Fine. Okay, well, shall we go on to the next one? Yes, indeed. Uh, right, track number nine, Township Rebellion. That's a weird noise, isn't it? it sounds like a didgeridoo. It. It, it, I really like it, but again, it's kind of almost discordant. It's not the notes that you'd expect. It's, like, it's throwing you off. Do you not think it sounds like a didgeridoo, though? I, well, I, yeah, I can see that it's... Yeah, I can see that when you say it, yeah. So I, I think I think this verse bell. is okay. It's... It's, and it's this, this bit kind of comes in that finds a rhythm, right? but this. Oh, what a riff! Fuck me. And as well, right? Like I said, I'd not uh, heard this album from start to finish in I'm going to say probably 15 years at least, you know. Um, but as soon as Fistful of Steel finished yeah. I have the, the start of this one in my head because oh, yeah. they because it goes so straight into the next one I this I know this album far too well for it not to be just popping See, up. the interesting thing about this album mm. is 
this is a record that I have listened to in its entirety constantly. Really? For the last... Yeah. yeah. To be honest with you, I listen to all three of the Rage Against the Machine albums fairly often. Right. And the covers album. Sure. Less frequently, but sometimes. Sure, yeah. But for me, one of the best pieces of wordplay on this entire record is in this song. All right, go on. Because what does it offer? I think often it's nothing but a coffin. Got to get wrecked until our necks never swing on a rope from here to the Cape of No Hope. Right, okay, yeah. There's just so much word, so many words in there, and he's done a little weird contextual things, Mm -hmm. like our, our necks never swing, and you kind of have to almost do a little bit of you mental work juggling to work it. It's like a little right. bit crip. And you're like, oh, but he's made it work. Yeah. And you can imagine him sitting there with going, oh, that doesn't quite work like this. But if I do this and then... I, oh, and and, and I, I love I love kind of just going... It's just... Honing uh, it down. Yeah, there's something about that kind of stuff that really appeals to me like as well, a writer it's, it's, and as it's, a... It's the, the cleverness... You can have really clever shit, stuff that sounds shit. Yeah. And you could have really simple stuff that sounds good but if you've got the two together that's exactly. what it was and it's the way that it all fits in as well yeah. you know because I mean obviously I'm reading it out yeah. rather than trying to perform it yeah. but it's the way that it all clips in on that beat and oh, it's fucking stunning man it really is another mm. ridiculous solo on here another solo on here that is mm-hmm. a challenger for one of the best ones on the record fine yeah big one and then you know we get into the mantra thing right now why stand on a silent platform fight the war fuck, fuck the norm, norm. Yep. right it's fine. It's not one of the best ones. Well, on as, here. as a, a, a a slogan. Yeah, yeah. Right. But then, because I think he kind of almost realizes that, he, and then you get shackled the mind when you're left on the cross. Mm-hmm. When ignorance reigns, life is lost. The space in that. It's fucking perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. And again, his his huge scream into that final verse, and then when the the riff slows down out of it and just goes just slow down with him oh, it's, it's wonderful and the thing is if you listen to Inside Out with Zach's oh, yeah. early man that bloke is, has got a fucking ferocious scream I mean he screams everything right. across those records and you know the fact that he reigns that in on here he's got a lot of weapons with bows mm-hmm. you know? I mean Zach plays drums and guitar and I'll stuff as well yeah, right. I mean I don't know how well he fucking plays no, them well, fine Played them in a hardcore band. You don't need to be able to play the drums that well in a hardcore band. That's probably true. But fucking, yeah, great song. This one, very underrated song, Township Rebellion. Yeah, yeah. And it it's not one, again, because there's kind of different bits to it, it's not one that I ever really played in the clubs. Yeah. But whenever I was going back to it and listening to it again, I, I, I was reminded how good a song this is. Brilliant yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so then that comes in... To the, I can't remember the last, last fucking one? song already. Oh, this is it. This is a concise album. Ten yeah. tracks. No fucking fat on this. Nope. Uh, so track 10 is Freedom. <laughs> straight in. And this is straight in off the back of uh, th- those last notes of Township Rebellion as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, this is almost like an extension of the same song because the riff is similar. Yep. Um, and I was thinking, is this just, have they just reprise, kept on going? Yeah. Or is it a reprise? Yeah, exactly. A lot of cowbell in this. Love it. Fucking love it, mate. Not enough cowbell, that's what it is. Yeah, I've got uh, the things, some of the things that I like in this song, some of my favourite bits, and I've got a fucking list of them, is the the, the whisper of the anger is a gift. Oh, I've, got, I've got that as well. It's under the breath. Oh my god, it's amazing. Um, but the cowbell, the drop that, that yeah, bit, yeah. 
gets me every time. Just, a, just uh. the little kind of metaphor, like um, set up like a deck of cards. All the diamonds use a pair of clubs to beat the spades. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow. It's like, wow. That's, <laughs> that's good. That works so well. They both ride horses. <laughs> well, true enough, it is a bit like that. Um, the, 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 the climbing crescendo uh, before the very final just screams of freedom, yeah. that sort of stuff. This is wonderful. He, he, Zach sounds like if he doesn't tell you and get this out of him, he might just die. He needs to yeah. tell the world. This is probably... This, I think, might be my favourite song on the album. Oh, OK. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. I, I'm only saying that because of the times I've listened to it for this. I bet you if you'd asked me last year when I hadn't heard this album in full, I would have gone with something different. Yeah. But something about this really got me this time. I really like this song as yeah. well. I, I kind of feel like it's not the closer. That's my only issue okay. with the way it ends. I feel like I wanted the album like to end with, you know, one of those big fuck you, I won't do what you tell oh, me. Oh, I see. Right? Okay, right. You know, yeah. like, I mean, almost, uh, that, uh, you couldn't do it. Uh, you couldn't do it. But it sh- I think Killing in the Name should be the last track on this album. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, right. Yeah, the record from, company wouldn't have it. But from from yeah, from yeah, mm. a commercial point of view, you can't do it. But from a from a, a tracking point of view, Killing in the Name is the last track on this record. Fair enough. Okay. But All right. That's, no, that's I, the- I see why, why you would have it. Absolutely. I see your, your case for it. I actually really like this as a last one because, they again, they have that very thing, the thing at the end where it sounds like they're demolishing their kit and throwing yeah. it up well, it's, it's got, And it's got that thing where it's like, freedom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Oh, mate, honestly, so many bits of this song just make me really happy. Yeah. It's such a good one. Look, this is... like We're through it. Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, and I mean, I don't know. I, I I know that I am not able to separate the nostalgia for this record yeah. to a certain degree, but I still don't think there's any way that I hear this record for the first time right now and don't think it's fucking magnificent. I agree. I cannot imagine thinking, that's all right. Well, the interesting thing is, because of the way he writes and because, you know, because it's not loaded with pop culture references and things along sure. those lines, it doesn't date in the same way. You know, like we've, yeah. talk, we've talked about Check Your Head. We both love Check Your Head. Absolutely. But Check Your Head sounds like a record of its time now. It's still a fucking magnificent record. But I don't know if I could go to a kid in the same way, check this out, it's fucking universally magnificent. And it's... Mm-hmm. In a way that I could with this, because I think it it just hasn't aged in the same way. Yeah, I think it still holds the same yeah. sort of power that it did back then. Yeah, and I'm not slagging off Check Your Head at all, oh, obviously. No, no, no. If you listen of to the course. album, I'm fucking not. But I just think this is a massive shift in the genre. As Andy said, it resonated with people from the alternative yeah, mindset, the indie the kids, through. the rock kids. It was just such a smart, muscular, technically achieved singular it vision of a record incredible the production on it it's not like i said it's not over the top it's not it doesn't sound like there's a sheen on it yeah but it sounds so good still 30 years on yeah i haven't really mentioned uh garth yeah uh, who produced this record um and you know you gotta give that guy a lot of props because he has made you know he has made this really lo-fi record mm. sound clean you know yeah you know a and lot, Andy Wallace as a well. lot of the music that came out of this scene that hardcore scene that I fucking loved so so dearly 
is kind of hard to listen to sometimes now yeah. because a lot of it was never designed to be heard through some big it was systems. Deliberately lo-fi because they wanted to keep it real. Well, yeah, it was, some of it was fucking lo-fi because it was recorded for like a hundred fucking well, bucks. Very true. You know, yeah. it was recorded by people that had no money to do that shit, and I loved it. That was one of the things I loved about sure. it. It was, you know, it felt like something me and my friends could do, and me and my friends did do it. Right, sure, know? absolutely. Um, but this record, man, I, I, yeah. what a fucker. I'm, I'm so glad that I go back with a critical eye, cast it across it. And, oh, God. Because there isn't a bad song on this album for me. There, oh, definitely not. There are some that I'm like, oh, this is this is just very good rather than brilliant. Yeah. That's the only thing that is on this album for me. And I am also uh, glad that I haven't lost some of the joy in the preceding 28 years because yeah. I still really get excited by some of these. Really okay, so excited. I don't, I don't, don't, we, we don't, they didn't have a number one, did they? So we don't have to do... Number one album. Do you know what? Fucking, we've enjoyed this one so much. Maybe when we get to 95, 96, whatever, maybe we should revisit Evil Empire. I was, I was, I was, about, to, so. I was about to ask you what you think of them, but I think maybe, <laughs> I think I've had so much fun doing this episode, maybe we just yeah. fucking revisit it. Maybe so. Did you see the shout out on Twitter today? People asking us if if we do uh, Dog Eat Dogs or oh, Yes, I did, my uh, God. How do you feel about that? I feel dreadful about that. No blunts. No fronts, no fronts. No podcast specials. You fucking... What's wrong with you? <laughs> What's wrong with me? It says the man sticking no up for doggy dogs. No fronts is a good song. Not a good song. It is. Oh, it's not. You just sound like it's got a saxophone in it. <laughs> Mate, you know I love a good sax. And that's... You. Mm. Anyway, right. right, fuck it. Right, anyway, cool. guys, thank you so much for joining us for our special. Um, a massive thanks again to uh, Andy Coppin yeah, for I've, taking cheers. his time with that. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with uh, bon, bon Jovi, Jovi, which I'd imagine is going to be a very similar conversation. Oh, absolutely. We, we both uh, were as excited by that album as this. I'm actually quite excited to go back and listen to it, see if it, see how it's aged. I oh, see. I've never heard it. Oh, I, I it, it was faith. never heard it. I mean, I just spoilers. It was the, the album that that stopped me loving Bon Jovi. Oh, I see. Okay, but um, anyway, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll find out how it goes. But yeah, that's our next one. So we, we look forward to that. Wicked. Well, thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, as always, get in contact. Uh, let us know your thoughts on this episode. Uh, if there's any any great stories that we've missed or should have included, let us know. We'll always get them in the intro yeah. for the next one. Uh, and yeah, till next time from uh, me and from Krista Greer. Thank you very much indeed. See you later. See you. Bye. Thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. It was produced and edited by us, for which we can only apologise. We're on Twitter, at PCL Podcast, on Instagram, also at PCL Podcast, and facebook.com slash PCL Podcast. All of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is PCLPodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on pclmusicpodcast at gmail.com.